0: Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the Ladies of Anime Trending. If you're looking for a nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion. And we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello,
1: this is Agnes.
0: And unfortunately, Isabel is not here with us today, which is why there was, uh, which is why I don't know if it's just you guys, but I heard Agnes a little more awkward because she's not used to being in the middle here. So um, Isabel unfortunately can't join us today. She got sick, but she wanted us to go ahead and move forward with the topic because we today are going to talk about bromances versus romances. In particular, when it comes to anime, there is obviously a lot of shipping between two guy characters who are very close. And there's a term of bromance where their friendship is just so close that they almost seem romantic, but they're not. And then there's actual romances, and we're looking, sort of comparing, contrasting, looking and seeing if, you know, in regards to context, whether these non-canon couples, as in we never see them officially get together, um, are should be considered as a bromance or a romance. But to do that, we need some help. So we have a guest today. Introduce yourself. <laughs>
2: Hello, everyone. I am the bro uh, for this particular episode. My name is James. Uh, For those of you that might listen to the other podcast, I am the host of that. It's been on hiatus for a while. That's entirely my fault. So whoops. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so we have James today because we do think it's kind of important that if we're going to have a conversation about bromance versus romance, we kind of have to get a guy on the channel to talk about it, And so, or else it's just going to be three us girls speculating. Well, I guess Agnes has a more inside look of a bromance, per se, because growing up, and if any of you guys are longtime listeners, growing up, you guys would know Agnes has said that she mostly was friends with boys before she started foraging into more girl friendships. So Um, But regardless, we thought it was important to have an actual guy in the conversation of today's topic. So uh, with that being said, James, are you excited?
2: I am excited in the literal sense of at a higher energy level. I am a little nervous. This is the first time I've uh, a longtime listener and fan, first time guest, you know. (laughs) Don't worry, everyone gets a fair share. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so today, Jays, what we want to do is we're gonna describe some relationships that we've seen in anime uh, between guys who are not explicitly canon. So we're not talking about couples from BL because those are very explicitly canon, and even in supporting character couples from other uh, from other anime, we definitely had some of those. Uh, we're not looking at those. We're looking for ones that relationships of guys who are just so close that. That we've seen the typical argument online of people being like no it's just the friendship nothing's going on between them and other people you know saying of course it's romantic look at the way they interact with each other and stuff like that and in particular we really want to hear where you stand on that particular matter like whether you think based on their relationship whether it's because you know the source material itself because i know you read a lot of manga Or, um, you know, or based on our description of things, whether you actually think they are bromantic or do you think they're actually more romantic, platonic or not? And so, um, and if you do think one or the other, we're curious to know why. Like, what is that distinguishing factor for you as a man when hearing about this? So, so Mm actors, I I think we should just kind of ping pong against each other today since it's only the two of us. So, you go first and then I go and then you go and then I go.
1: (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Um, Should I just, so how we're gonna set this up, do you want me to just name the couple straight up and then describe the couple if he doesn't know them or?
0: Uh, yeah, um... let's go ahead and yeah, let's do exactly that. Name the couple and then if he does know it, give a like a brief description of it too for the listeners just in case they don't know it. Um, but if he doesn't know it, that's when you can go into your deep dive.
1: <laughs> okay, easel. All right, uh, the first one that I wanted the spotlight for this podcast is going to be from Sabu Pisco Bisco, which is Milo <laughs> and Bisco. Um, Specifically because there has been a lot of speculation that this series is not quote-unquote gay enough. There is no romance involved. The two are completely bros. But I kind of want to get your insider, James, because I know you've been part of this conversation. This is very familiar to you.
2: Yeah, I have been privy to... I have not watched the series, but I have been involved in observing the fallout in my friend group of uh, (laughs) of certain episodes.
1: Yeah, so for many of the listeners, Sabikui Visco is a series that set, that sets in a post-apocalyptic time period where the entirety of Japan is covered in sand and the living conditions are very harsh. And out from the depths of these, um, from the sands, there is a famous quote-unquote um, criminal and his name is Sabikui. Um, he is apparently a very special human being who harnesses the usage of mushrooms and is quote-unquote considered a terrorist. Milo, on the other hand, is a doc is an underground doctor who works in the city, trying to cure people of certain diseases from the rust that appears in the desert, but unfortunately he's not able to cure most of them, and if anything, he doesn't have an actual cure for them. He just kind of experiments with a lot of things. He encounters Bisco when Bisco does basically a raid in the city that Milo is stationed in and he decides to accompany Bisco because he sees that there's a potential in the mushrooms that Bisco has basically Bisco carries shrooms and Milo's hooked on the shrooms right (laughs) and as a result they go on this kind of adventure of evading the the city evading criminals and then also uh, and also giving back to the communities that live outside of Japan centers in hopes of like bringing a cure for the rust disease that they have milo also has an older sister who suffers very heavily from the rust which is why inspired him to become an underground doctor and as you know as very typical kind of like buddy buddy type of situations where it's like two guys go on an adventure it's a very japanese romanticized adventure they call it in japanese like roman right in the sense of like it's a grand adventure there's so many things that are going to happen and it's a great old time between two great friends but as the series goes on in the rest of the anime especially in the last two episodes it starts to get a little bit less romantic than we would think um, I personally think it got really romantic because there's a scene where Bisco is about to die. This is actually in the penultimate episode in episode eleven. He is drowning in lava, and Milo is so hell bent on rescuing him and yet Bisco is telling him like, Don't even bother, and Milo basically opens up with a confession just right before Bisco dies. Spoilers, Bisco actually lives by episode twelve, but <laughs> in episode eleven. There is a love confession that is clearly happening between the two. And there were so many Twitter and Facebook comments that were saying like, oh, this isn't gay. Like, this is like, this is not like, this is not a gay pairing. This is not like a BL moment. This is just two guys. And the rest of us are sitting there thinking to ourselves like, seriously, this is is what you think? Are you really actually sure that this is a romantic situation? Because I don't think it was a romantic situation at all. Um, and so Gracie and I had this kind of, like, discussion about, like, why do people think it's a bromance situation? There's nothing going on as this at all. And I ended up reading later into the light novels, like, skimming through it because I was, like, I'm desperate for answers. Like, there's no way, like, this is not romantic at all. And it basically confirmed to me that, yes, they are actually romantic, but in the weirdest way possible, <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like... <laughs> what is going on? It actually broke my brain, and that's actually what James was referring to was the "quote unquote" fallout in the chat. Was me in incoherently screaming to Gracie. She's like, "What are you talking about?" And James is just like, "What is she talking about?" So I just wanted to preface that for the audience.
0: I, I just want to say that I I highly suspect this author reads Omega.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she- oh, no. uh, oh my god, that would make so much more sense because for the readers. Uh, can I spoil for this uh, section? Well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you... Milo gets pregnant. Twa- <laughs> uh, Milo gets pregnant by Sabuque. <laughs> His sister's also <laughs> pregnant too by Sabuque. Yeah, it's um, confusing. Milo has two kids. One of them, he's still pregnant with. As far as I know from the current novels. and the only explanation was because of shrooms.
0: Uh, yeah, spores, spores, spores. Um. Okay, so here's the dilemma for you, James. Um yes. with Sabi Bisco, because I know you're probably thinking, like, well, if he's having a kid with the other guy, then it's probably canon, right? Like, was there to discuss? But in Sabi Bisco officially, Bisco is with uh Milo's sister,
1: it's confusing. Just roll with it. So, but it's it's the whole thing of like, oh, you're 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 my enemy, enemies become lovers trope. But yes. it's really weird because Paul is Milo's sister. Right? Paul doesn't quite show up that much throughout the entirety of the series. It's just Milo and Bisco on their journey. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And then she shows up and it seems like it and I, I have to say seems because I, I kept this opinion to myself. But then Agnes later told me her opinion. And I was like, Oh, thank God, I'm not the only one because like, it, it's like they it seems like they have this romantic sexual connection, which I'm like, I didn't feel any chemistry <laughs> between them whatsoever. And then later Agnes said the same thing. I was like, if Oh, I have to
1: be completely honest, I think they hate Pau and Bisco, because there's absolutely no chemistry between them. Yeah, there's like
0: weirdly no chemistry going on between those two. But it's just like officially he's with her because it's like in the light novel series, he like he slept with her and she's pregnant with his child the normal way. But then throughout this whole thing, it's like Milo has been with him on this journey and then at one point, when we think Bisco dies, Milo had to do the deal, had to, like, quote unquote, kill Bisco. And when he shot the arrow, he said, I stay to him. Okay. And then afterwards, and there was, like, another scene before then where Milo was severely wounded. And, like, the whole time, Bisco was holding Milo's hand. And like keeping him in his lap and all that stuff to comfort him and tell him that he's here. He's not going away and everything. And then once again, after all this and how he officially gets together with a woman and gets a woman pregnant. His magic spores somehow impregnates another man, and then they have a kid together. <laughs> and so, um, so it's a little tricky in that regard. And I guess just based on the description of the ice and at least, or even just the scene before where Milo is very wounded, and Bisco like kept Milo in his lap the entire time and holding his hand and like telling him he's here. Like just from that particular scene. Is that like is that romantic or would you say that's past a line already?
2: I I would probably have to say that that's crossing over into like proper romance to some degree. I I think it it's it's a tough spot because well is it a tough spot or am I just trying to use fancy <laughs> words? Um, I I don't I don't want to say it's like cut and dried because clearly if it was cut and dried folks wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, but I think that does lean more towards like actual proper romantic stuff. Um, and so I, I i would I would have to support that the The specific vocabulary used in the confession, I think is is important um as well as there is becoming more it, it's becoming more normalized to have like a lot more physical contact between two guys. Uh, and right. That's, mm-hmm. that's fairly progressive. Um, so if you had, like, asked this question maybe 10 years ago, it would be like, oh, they're super, you know, they're super a couple because, you know, the, the guy relationships from, from 10 years ago or maybe 15 years ago are like, you make eye contact and if you look make too much eye contact, <laughs> then you get called gay. Um, so, and, and now we've, now we've, uh, now we've progressed into, you know, memes of just like, fellas, is it gay to kiss the homies? goodnight? Uh, with the assumed answer being no, uh, <laughs> but
0: so but you also can't forget the guys from that meme got married.
2: <laughs> <sighs> yeah,
0: <laughs> they literally got married. They've been married for a while now.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd say that for Saviki Bisco, like that, that is clearly past what would be just standard like bromance of like you know two good friends. You're, the word "good" is really putting a lot of carrying a lot of weight there um so yeah i I think vocabulary and consistency of actions is another thing if you have a series where you have two male characters that get along pretty well together and you maybe get like a one one or two scenes where you have slightly more physical contact maybe you know recuperating like lap pillow or whatever or something like that then you can still say like oh well you know Sometimes that's a thing that that guys will do for each other, but it seems like this is becoming more consistent, becoming more frequent, and as frequency increases, you you need to start um, viewing it, I think, more romantically than just, you know, two pals.
0: OK, and you actually bring up a topic that I was actually going to ask to you, but I was on my agenda to ask James about. <laughs> and so um, specifically about how friendships have changed. So, you know, Agnes, you know, you, I, Agnes, we discussed this already in Acabe Sailor Uniform um, for mm-hmm. you and also your own experience that, you know, girl friendships are inherently more emotionally intimate. And it's like the the sort of community feeling is tends to be a lot closer per se. And guys tend to be a little more distanced, even if they are super close. But as many people pointed out, this has led to a lot of men loneliness that they're like, this is honestly the issue. This is why that this is why women don't really feel like they need to be in a romantic relationship to heal their feeling of loneliness, because if they find super good friends, suddenly they feel less lonely. But with men, they feel like only in romantic relationships can they feel like that sort of loneliness gets filled in. And the reason why is and even men like men have talked about this is like the reason why is with your guy friends, you don't really have that sort of emotional intimacy. It feels somehow wrong or stunted to do so. And there's been a big shift in um people's perception and there's been a big shift in people pushing for the fact that actually male friendship should be like that. It should be able to be emotionally vulnerable with each other and talk about these things and be emotionally intimate to each other and such. And so some pushback that, you know, Um, there is a lot of pushback obviously when it's like homophobic and those are the ones I'm obviously going to ignore but there are some where it's like they talk about how it's a little confusing or conflicting to them because on one hand obviously they are um, they're not against anyone shipping anything like it's just free to ship whoever you want but then there is that also discomfort or this conflict of you know I, I want like you know in one hand it's in on one hand, I don't want to stop people from, you know, shipping two guys because they're close. But then on the other hand, like, isn't that part of the problem is the second these two guys show any sort of emotional intimacy and vulnerability, people automatically take them as romantic, and they are incapable of taking them as platonic. And that's like the very core issue that's going on in male friendships. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts about that in particular.
2: Yeah, you, you bring up a good point, actually, especially um, – so I, I will agree that, like, male loneliness and emotional fulfillment is something that has been it, – it has always been a problem. It just hasn't been recognized and addressed until the past, you know, decade or so, decade, two decades. Um, the, the timeline on that can vary. I am relatively young uh, in terms of the, the social problems and and the epidemic of male loneliness, so who am I to say? I wasn't alive for a good chunk of that. Um, but yeah, there's, well, while things have become more open and things have been deemed more acceptable either through just people being confident in it, you know, not feeling like they are emasculated when someone, you know, insults them and standing up to that, that's very good. And that has made a lot of progress as well as just turning it into a joke when, when you make it a meme uh, and it's something to laugh at, then if anybody actually takes it seriously, they're seen as a bit of a clown. You know, it's just like, why are you taking this seriously? We're all having a good laugh, and that normalizes it. Um, but I think you hit on something very interesting when you mention, like, people that want to ship two male characters just because they seem a little close. And that is something that I hadn't actually given any thought to because so much of the concern about being seen as you know gay or homosexual is is fear like guys and boy men and boys being afraid of insults from other men and boys for being mm. perceived that way but there can also be kind of a similar perception issue where if you are close with some of your male friends and other and your, your female friends or just female strangers automatically start shipping you that is also something that might cause some concern of just like well I have no allies in this, in this case. So, you know, my guy friends are going to call me gay and my girlfriends are also going to call me gay. For one of them, it's an insult. And for the other one, it's a source of entertainment. And so that (laughs) kind of puts you between a rock and a hard place. And so that's that's in in real life. In media, you get a little bit more flexibility because they're Mm. fictional characters. Right, Um, right. But if the whole point of media is to sometimes be able to perceive yourself in characters... Then that's that's when, you know, fiction starts influencing reality.
0: I see. Okay. Yeah, no, that's exactly I've been thinking about that for a while, honestly. <laughs> so um, so that was something that I I'm glad I got your uh got your particular two cents on. Okay, so the one that I'm gonna talk about is uh and this one I've talked about before but for other topics, but it's Gurin and Shinya from Owari no serif or Seraph of the end. Do you know anything about them?
2: Uh not very well. I have not seen any of Seraph of the End, and I did not read very much of the manga. Um, it's one where uh, I would... When I was a wee lad, I went to my local library and checked out what volumes they had, and that's kind of the extent to which um, I have I have consumed uh, Seraph of the End. I know roughly some characters, but at, I've sometimes jumped in to see where things are presently, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. Oh,
0: me too. Me too. <laughs>
2: So
0: <laughs> I know, I know. So I don't blame you because that's my exact opinion on this series as well. Um, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and describe this. So uh, Gurren and Shinya's relationship is complicated, to say the least. So this is mostly pulling from a prequel light novel series written by the same mangaka, but uh, about specifically Gurin's life story. And so Gurren officially has or had a girl and her name was Mahiru like they had this childhood romance and they fell in love with each other but because Gurren was from like a lower level family she was from a higher one they forcefully got separated la 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 and so we fast forward a few years and where we fast forward some years and Shinya approaches Gurren out of nowhere and it turns out it's because Shinya was officially selected by Mahiru's family to be betrothed to Mahiru And Mahiru, the first thing that she said when she met Shinya is like, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not, I'm never going to love you because my heart is already taken by someone else. So you can just get out of here. And for Shinya in particular, who spent his whole life, like quote unquote winning, really what it is is surviving. Like that was the only way he could survive is if he won. It was the first time he lost, and so he was extremely jealous and also curious as to who he lost to. So that's why he um, talked. He went and reached out to Gurin. But the ironic thing is, throughout the series, as the story comes continues and the conflict happens, is that Mahiru, in her sort of desperation to take down her own family and to um, and to be with Gurin essentially like got herself a power that corrupted her more and more and more and so she became more and more antagonistic and worse while Shinya and Gurren got closer and closer as bros and so a lot of this um, a lot of the problems that Mahiru causes that had a lot of terrible consequences on Gurren Shinya was the one who was there to comfort him and was like um, when Gurren's family got blamed for something regarding to Mahiru Gurren's dad got beheaded and Shinya was the one who was comforting him when that happened and there was like this very awkward thing where at one point Mahiru does seem to like regain like her consciousness and stuff. She goes to Gurren, they actually sleep together, but then immediately she, like, leaves, and then after she leaves, Gurren calls Shinya to tell Shinya what happened, and she is like, are you trying to make me, like, unhappy when you told me this or something? Gurren's like, I don't know, I just, I guess I just wanted to see how you feel about it, and Shinya's like, I don't know how I feel about this, and so, um... And then, like, everything comes to a head, because if you remember the setup of Seraph of the End, Seraph of the End started with an apocalypse, remember? And then the vampires came and tried to, like, uh, try to control the apocalypse.
2: Yeah, I vaguely remember that.
0: Okay. So in the Light Novel series, we actually find out that Gurren is responsible for the apocalypse. Because what happened was when he went after Mahiru with his friends... Um, Mahiru was just so much stronger at this point that she ended up killing all of them. Or, in particular, she killed Shinya in front of Gurin, and that kind of broke Gurin after that happened. And so, um, and so for like for like a week or something or several days, he was just holding on to Shinya's dead body, essentially unable to process what had just happened. And then finally stood up. Carry Shinya's body, in a princess carry, because the art actually shows it, carries Shinya's body and decides to commit the biggest taboo in the world, which is resurrecting people who have already died. And resurrecting people who die essentially, um, essentially ensures that the apocalypse will come. So he is the reason why everything has gone to hell by the time um, Seraph of the End starts. And he did it because he just could not handle the fact that Shinya is dead. And so when he revived Shinya and the rest of his friends with Shinya, The rest of his friends woke up and they were conscious again. They don't remember dying, but Shinya still hadn't woken up. And he just has a total breakdown. Like he starts screaming and crying. He's just like, why did I even do this? If this was like, he was the one I was trying to bring back. If I don't even manage to bring him back, then what was the point of me destroying the world and all that stuff? And eventually like they use CPR to uh, to essentially get Shinya's heart to start pumping again. But the light novel series ends with Shinya really loves to ride motorcycles or bikes. And so the light novel series ends with Gurren climbing onto Shinya's bike and the two of them riding off and uh, Gurren putting his head against Shinya's back to listen to Shinya's heart beating again and explicitly saying out loud or, or is thinking to himself that he doesn't regret a single thing. He doesn't regret literally dooming the world to an apocalypse if it meant bringing Shinya back alive. So... It's also complicated, once again, because officially he was with that girl who is also not quite there anymore, but, like, he was with her no matter what. But the Light Novel series as a whole was more about their relationships and how Gurren officially started an apocalypse to resurrect one of them after one of them died. So I'm curious to hear, like, has the line crossed in this wild situation?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'd say if you... There's very few... Like... (sighs) The I, I feel like if you were to like swap genders for a second and just be like, ah, you know, if mm-hmm. it was a, if it was like a hetero pair, pairing, would those actions seem like friendship or something more romantic? And if the answer is it's romantic, then boom, it, like there's, there you go. I feel like dooming the rest of the world to try to save one person is a pretty, you got to be pretty emotionally invested in that one person. Uh, so. so you, you
0: wouldn't do the world for one of your bros. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pro- oof. Probably not. I like it. That's it's a it's a strong hypothetical to throw around. I don't want to start putting. Ooh. I don't want to start putting. Put, <laughs> all right, friendship yeah, see, tier this list. Is my, Let's but go. that's my
0: question: is that you know I think most people wouldn't um, hesitate to agree that. Yeah, when you're in love with someone, you'll you'll probably if they quote unquote die in their supernatural stuff. Like it's not it's not confusing to anyone that, you know, uh, for example from woman Alchemist, it's not confusing for anyone that a kid would try to bring back their parent they lost, or a parent who lost a child would try to bring back their child they lost, or um and then I think even in that one it's like, you know, or tried to bring back a dead lover. Like this resurrection thing is always like a child parent and children relationship resurrections are very like understandable no one questions it and then um you know lover lovers resurrections very understandable nobody questions it but what about friendships you know is that something that is like unquestionable or i feel like it's questioned though i think it
2: i think it is as well and this this comes from because you were mentioning like you mentioned full metal alchemist it was like trying to bring back your dead mom or whatever Mm -hmm. um and there is you know, and, and I think it's time to look into the origin of, you know, calling someone a bro as you're calling them your brother. If you if you have a bond that you think is is at a level of like family, then, mm. yeah, I can see that happening. Um, okay. And I think and I think what's interesting is that like re, like relationship bonds can become, you know, they can become those those familial bonds. I mean, that's kind of what getting married is, is like officiating like this says you we are family now is kind of the kind of the situation. So I think if, if we're doing just the, you know, doom the world to resurrect it, that could be up for debate. You know, they could just be, they could, you know, brother from another mother kind of situation, like in, in everything, in everything but blood, you know, family. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's a, that's a toughie. I feel like I would, this is something that's like, I would have to read this content knowing full well that I will not read the content. <laughs> <'cause> I, got <laughs> some, I got so much else on my plate. Um.
0: But it sounds so, like your initial knee-jerk reaction My knee-jerk is,
2: reaction is, mm-hmm. is that, because I think the second version of that, which is, um, you know, uh, water of the, I think, <laughs> not to bring religion into it, but the, you know, the whole blood is thicker than water. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sign. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that is actually taken out of context. The... Um, If I remember correctly, the full version of it is like the blood of the covenant is stronger than the water of the womb, which is to say that, like, the relationships that you find in this case, since it's an old saying, the relationships that you develop in the church through like communion and that are stronger than your familial bonds. Mm -hmm. And so, Uh, yes, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of Jesus knowledge. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You probably have
1: more Jesus knowledge than me. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: But in this case, uh, you can do a similar thing of, of, you know, the relationship that is not necessarily blood-related can still be stronger, you know, through the covenant of whatever your friendship is. Um, But you see that very rarely in media. Mm. More often than not, if you see a bond of that strength, it's because they are romantically inclined.
0: Okay. Alrighty. That's at Uh, least,
2: like, the stuff I have watched and read and seen. There could be dozens of examples that contradict that, but i'm working on my current knowledge pool so
1: <laughs> all righty i'm ping-ponging back to you now agnes <laughs> i think this one will probably be a little bit more obvious uh, as compared to some of the other ones that we discussed earlier um and i think it should be fairly familiar you've probably seen it a lot in your other twit circles or whatnot but i'm gonna mention one piece Because there, for the longest time since this series has started, there has been a rather significant part of the BL fandom that really ships something like Sanji and Zoro. I see that! Yeah, you see that, everyone sees that, everyone and their mother sees that at this point. So... As somebody who watches One Piece, as somebody who has continued still watching One Piece and picking up bits and pieces here and there, I want kind of like an outsider perspective of do you see them as a bromance or is this actually something that's legitimately romantic? Because as far as I know, this has been like a hot debate in the One Piece fandom. Between like, people who ship couples for a very very long time like i know um,
0: very little about one piece and yeah i know that that's oh a huge <laughs> contentious <God>. topic so
1: <laughs> the fact that gracie refuses to watch one piece is like a phenomenal feat of strength but somehow the zoro sanji fan art kind of just trickles into her twitter account here and there i know <laughs> and, it, and i'm just zoro like where, where did that even happen zoro? uh it officially zoro's the top
2: oh my goodness
1: Or at least according to the fandom, because he's more of like the rough ISTP kind of thing and Sanji's the sub. So, Um. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the reason why a lot of people want to ship between Zoro and Sanji is that they have very much of the bickering couple type of dynamic that you would see in a lot of other heterosexual couples where it's like, if they fight, that means that they just want to get to know each other more and that they are actually in tune with each other. Oh, is it like the old married
0: bickering couple trope? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. And for the
1: record, Sanji and Zoro do have that element because they do fight a lot. Um, They insult each other quite a bit, too. Uh, Sanji calls Zoro, like, moss head because his hair is green. Sanji insults the fact that Zoro has no way of, like, wheedling into like like talking to women or not being awkward because Laura's very awkward, he's an be he's awkward like me, so Zero there's that raise. Yeah, yeah, zero ris, right? But then Zoro bites back at how like sometimes like Sanji is like way too much over his heels when he tries to fall in love with women, or Sanji is useless, or whatever, may have you, right? Mm. And then they always start fighting. But the other aspect of it is that they do work superbly well together. They are considered like the left hand and the right hand of Luffy in one piece and they kind of intuitively work together to help support one uh Luffy in his dream to achieve the one piece um Zoro basically doing like the strong handling and Sanji kind of like being like the one brain cell that keeps all the guys together and making sure that they get their work done um But I've always been a bit curious because a lot of the females in the fandom have really shipped them for a very long time because of that bickering element that still hasn't changed since the start of One Piece all the way to the current arc of One Piece. But I kind of wanted to get your insight and see if this is something that you would also consider as bromance or something that is maybe leaning towards the romantic
2: side as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean very strongly on the just bros kind of situation for a okay. couple for a couple reasons. One, I think that everybody in One Piece to some degree is kind of a dumbass, and romance is beyond <laughs> them. Um, and the the another another point, you know, is is Sanji's incessant womanizing. I think it's you know maybe he does swing both ways, but uh, I don't think that that's something that Oda would be writing into. He's got he's got like larger story beats that he needs to address.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, and it's true though. Yeah, Sanji gets incredibly more horny and turned on with a woman than with a man. Yeah, and... potentially, um, because like we, the, all of Sanji's scenes with women is like he gets so enamored with them. He gets nosebleeds. He thinks about their boobs and their their ass, and so he gets really excited yep. um, down there visibly too. Um, so visibly. <laughs> Well, actually no, they don't actually show him like like visibly like feeling aroused, but the nosebleed is definitely a big connotation for that. Wouldn't it funny be if indicator. they did a zap thing from Kekai Sensei? Oh with a with a thermal camera of his crotch. That would be funny. But unfortunately they don't have the technology in one piece, so they can't do something like that.
2: Yeah. Um I I think that I think that Sanji in particular, because he is so enamored with women in particular and has kind of ostensibly a couple times been like i'm not interested in guys he's done that a co- i think on like thriller bark and um when he gets ex- when he gets when kuma sends him off to the island of uh, uh well the okamas uh, yeah the okamas oh so you do
1: remember the scene
2: yeah he's uh, he's Wait, like i'm how in much hell of
1: one piece did you watch
2: i've i have not watched any of it i have read the entire series
1: Oh, that's fantastic. oh, I'm, oh I'm, I'm I'm fantastic. This I'm, helps quite I'm a bit. Like, I've I'm been like three
2: har- or four weeks behind on the manga just because like I got busy. But I'm Oh, I'm that's fantastic because date. I've been
1: harping about One Piece to like an empty chamber because neither of the girls watch it or read oh, it. So
2: Oh Yeah, no. I'm, this is new
1: lore I've unlocked about James. Congratulations, we now have a new friendship.
2: Hooray. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about One Piece and the Hooray. the current, uh the Egghead Island arc or whatever's going yeah, on. Yeah, the I mean,
1: okay. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. So I think, I think uh, Sanji is very firmly interested in women and women alone, so uh, it's, it's very much a bromance. Like, they get along great, and that's good. They should get along well, but I think that's similar to a little bit of what I covered on, on the previous subject, which was, you know, at some point, it's a big old family, and so you could also see it. You could see it as, like, an old married couple, or you can see it as, like, siblings snapping at each other. Um, oh, yeah, well, that's I true. It, Siblings yeah.
0: do snap at each other. Okay. Yeah, I,
2: I think I think the thing that that takes it from kind of a found family situation to actually romance has to be considerably more like physical intimacy, because mm. there is enough that you can kind of wave away to be like, oh, if it's all like emotionally, you can just say that that's that's like family style bonds or whatever. And that that does get into a gray area. But if you want it, if you want like really good, firm evidence there, there gotta be some like some smooching. <laughs> <laughs> there gotta be some smooching. I mean, but,
0: but that's what we were saying is you know all the ones we are mentioning don't have smooch. I mean, except Savvy Savvy Savi- got pregnant, so we I got some Fast first they didn't, they didn't base it a goes a
1: directly to third base. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was a, skips, a little different.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. So I mean, I'm speaking a little hyperbolically with that, but um. But I, I, do, I do stand by the assertion that you have to have a higher, much, much higher degree of physical intimacy to, in my opinion, um, swing that more towards romance than just, you know, bros.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, the whole cake arc with Sanji and Pudding, too. Oh, right? yeah.
2: Whole cake like, Island. That yeah. is
1: very, like, romantically implied because pudding was supposed to manipulate them but him but then she fell in in love love with sanji
2: and sanji's like actually am i gonna settle down here because i think i might you know he's he almost did yeah and
1: then she wiped his memory so that he can continue to help luffy and i was like that is very romantic. that is some tragic romance
2: right there that makes me root for pudding i'll be perfectly honest
1: i really hope they get he gets together with pudding at the end like he comes back because especially like uh what was it like um uh what's her what's her mama is very like oh big mom very toxic so yeah (laughs) i hope once she's out of the picture they can at least get together so yeah yeah.
2: i i like the whole cake island arc i think i know that that was mostly supposed to be sanji's backstory and so like it's good that he got as much development as he did but that was the that was like the the character and emotional depth to sanji i think that we hadn't gotten for and mind you the series it was several hundred chapters long at that (laughs) point
1: i funnily enough didn't like cake arc too much because i I still like the idea of a lot of the one piece members being a lot smaller than their recognized parts um because you have like a lot of big names in one piece that pop up and my problem with a lot of shonen is that every single character, every single main character has to connect to a certain lineage that explains why they got this power yeah. or why they're strong this way and I kind of didn't like that with a lot of the one piece characters having this type of backstory going into it so that's why I was a bit disappointed that Sanji himself doesn't have has that kind of like He's from a, he's from a, a nation
2: of super soldier warriors across sea. He's not just some dude that was on a ship, he was like some cool, Yeah,
1: exactly, cuz that's how One Piece started out was like it's a bunch of dudes that are on a ship, but in hindsight Oda did kind of already plan this cuz he technically plans everything backwards to forwards. Yeah. Um so he had already probably in mind that that both Sanji Zoro and Luffy come from greater lineages to explain why they're so great.
2: Yeah. Oda, Oda, the ending of One Piece exists. Now the goal is to actually get there before the manga kills over.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Please don't die, Oda.
1: Please don't die. We still need you.
2: Anyway, thanks so much for listening to the One Piece podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, I was going to ask you very quickly, um, Agnes, because I couldn't tell. Do you ship those two or no?
1: No, I don't ship those two, but sometimes I look at the fan art and I'll be like, ooh, that's a very nice fan art that almost convinces me to ship them. <laughs> but no, I typically don't. Because at that point, like if the fan art convinces me, I will try to read fan fiction. Mm. But if the fan fiction does not like interest me at all, the, the ship doesn't exist for me.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, got it. Um, Alrighty, so I am in another similar boat as Agnes for my next one in that it is also a big contention point. Um, but it is Kageyama and Hinata from Haikyu. Uh, that is undoubtedly for an anime with um, a lot of lot of ships, a lot of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that, many. Yes, that is the most popular ship of them all. <sighs> And um, but then there's also a lot of people who push back on the fact that they are clearly just bros. They are not romantic whatsoever. And oh boy, do the fights get big sometimes (laughs) between them, uh, depending on their interpretation of their relationship. I feel like this relationship doesn't need much introduction, uh, James. Like, you're aware of it, right? <laughs> I am
2: vaguely aware of it. I have watched, uh, admittedly, I have not consumed that much of, of Haikyuu. I've watched, I think, the first season. Okay.
0: Um. um well, uh, to the listeners, if you don't know about them, they kind of start out, like, it, well, they start off as enemies, as an enemy teams, volleyball teams in middle school, but then in high school they find themselves on the same team and it's about them having to work out their differences in order to make their volleyball career in high school work out and it's sort of their journey in that regard it's very very good I do like their relationship a lot but that is honestly a big part of the Haiku fandom is that there are a lot of people who ship those two and then there are other people who are like I don't see it at all and so knowing that you've seen the first season James what do you feel about those two
2: I I don't ship it um that's I think I think the thing with a lot of sports shows is they lend themselves to shipping just because of the nature of sports I I'm thinking of like volleyball and the first thing that pops into my mind uh in terms of like volleyball and sexuality is the like oh yeah and then we watch Top Gun when they're all like glistening (laughs) and like volleyball (laughs) on the beach yeah dudes all over the place yeah um and that's not the same for haikyuu they they're all fully clothed um but (laughs) (laughs) um but i think uh and you could be i could be reading this incorrectly maybe i'm not i I don't think i was the target demographic for haikyuu i'll be perfectly honest okay um Mm. but i i don't see it as anything more than just like platonic um to to that relationship I think I think sports teams and sports anime I like it when they are about the sport and not so much about you know interpersonal drama and I know interpersonal drama makes things exciting but from what I got from the first season of IQ it's it's about the sport it's about volleyball uh, it's me watching that and then going to see a volleyball game at my university uh, which is apparently very good at volleyball in the US. Um, and going, oh, hey, I recognize some of this stuff because I watched the show, which means I learned a thing, which means it had a value outside of, like, taking the two 2D characters and mushing them together and saying, now, kiss. That's a lot of words.
1: I <laughs> no, 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 no that's valid. I think that's a very valid, um, explanation for it, because I think I'm also within that same boat, too, where it's, like, it's mostly about the sport. It's not about... There is a, a tight relationship because of the tension that they have as volleyball players, but it doesn't feel romantically charged. However, I would like to make a counter argument, and this is not because of my own personal belief of if they're a pairing or not, but there's also been a lot of discussion about how, if, for example, in women's sport, there's a large number of of uh, female players who are lesbians or like closet lesbians. Mm. And that comes from the fact that they have a lot of emotions that run high within the sport. And then they eventually come out as... Um, as queer or lesbian. And someone made a counterpoint argument on, I think it was like Twitter where I read it, about like, does that even apply for male sports players like Ronaldo and other sports players who like openly hug their bros or sometimes maybe even kiss them like on the forehead and stuff like that. Like what is the the, the separation between the two of them? Ooh, that's that a is, good That question. is an excellent
2: point. And the first thing I'm going to bring up is Europeans. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, Gay or European. But, but, a lot of the, but a lot
1: of the female... Players, the soccer players, they're American.
2: Yes, this is true. I think I've, and i and I, hmm. All right. So we're, we're, we're delving into, I mean, th- this has already kind of been speculation, but we're really delving into like wild speculation now. I think because so much of sport has been primarily viewed through the lens of like, it's a, it's a thing that guys do. Um, that if you are trying to, if you are trying to express yourself in a way that isn't typical of like straight dudes, if you are, if you are like a, a queer man, um, maybe, you know, participating aggressively in the pastime that is, again, associated with mostly straight males is not the best way to like express that sexuality because, you know, as, as opposed to, um, as opposed to like women's sports where it might be a little bit different. Uh, again, wild speculation on my part. I have, I have like no sources to back me up on there. Um, but those, those are my thoughts, particularly when it comes to kind of sports and then the correlation of folks coming out of the closet uh, after after playing a particular sport, whether that be volleyball or soccer or anything else. And then as far as European football, um, they uh, Europe is different. I am uh, born and bred American. Europe is built different. I'm, I, I'm not built disparate. I am... A... <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, you know, in a if if I was a couple skin sh- uh, tones lighter, you could call probably call me a wasp. So you know. Oh, wasp. A... <laughs> a wasp. Yeah. Oh, do you not know that that uh, that a- a- acronym? No. Wasp is stands for White Anglo-Saxon Protestant.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh so uh,
2: this is welcome to america a country founded by religious christian extremists that thought that having any sort of thoughts was worth getting whipped and apologizing to god so uh <laughs> um there there's something uh as an american growing up culturally american that that origin of the country sticks with you and there's a lot more freedom of expression in terms of sexuality i think that you can get away with in Europe. Again, now we are getting into geopolitics, a field that I also have very little, like uh, you know, sources I to mean, back me to up on. I mean, to be
1: fair, we don't have to even talk about geopolitics. We can just reference the musical from, what was it, Legally Blonde? Yeah, is, is he, he gay, gay or, or European? European? Right? So yeah. I think that that does hold some valid grounds without complicating this podcast into something about geopolitics. <laughs> yes.
2: So, um, I, I I mean, I think the argument that you brought up, Agnes, uh is is really good i think that that is something that should be looked at further and in putting on my my graduate student hat uh further research needs to be done on this and we encourage whoever <laughs> writes the next paper to focus on that so um but yeah at the moment i think um while it is an expression in women's sports i think that's less you see that less in men's sports the, the correlation is mm. not there
1: got it got it okay
0: so Alrighty. yeah, Haikyuu,
2: they're bros <laughs> I
0: uh, So I am also one of those who does think they're bros I, I do have other ships in Haikyuu I'll, I'll admit to it But not uh, but not Hinata Kageyama I actually think it's because of something that Agnes has said before So uh, some context I did this bromance versus romance powerpoint I, I won't go into the details of
1: it But, <laughs> but basically we want the details. This is the origin story of why we have this podcast exactly. topic
0: today. Exactly Well basically I kind of, um, I wanted to hear, because in my PowerPoint presentation, the two characters I was looking at, I was like, you know, if these two characters were girls, and this is their friendship, then absolutely they are platonic in the way that they go about things. Because, you know, the way that they talk to each other and stuff, it's it's just, this is how girls talk to each other, as friends. And um, and the guys, or specifically Agnes and Medi, Medi was the, the guy who saw that one, um, they both pointed out that it's communication works a little different between bros um, and a close male friendship. and in particular, it's more of just this unspoken understanding in space that they give each other rather than going after them and being like, are you feeling better? Do, like do we want to talk about it et cetera, et etc like that sort of thing. And I feel like Hinata and Kageyama really illustrate that particular element. Like in season two, I don't know if you remember Agnes, but they like got into that huge fight. But then mm-hmm. they came to a resolution, but they came to a resolution silently. Like they didn't, they didn't come back together and apologize or, you know, let's talk about it sort of thing. It's just they kind of went their own separate ways and they both realized each of them has a point. And they just both started working together again without really saying anything. I couldn't stop thinking about that and comparing that to what you and Medi both said of, like, a clear communication difference between, like, girls who are super close versus guys who are super close in a platonic sense. And I just saw it too clearly with Hinata and Kageyama that I can't unsee it, so.
1: I uh, agree, yeah.
0: Yeah, Okay. So, uh, with that being said, Isabel isn't here, but she did pick two, so we're going to do it for her. (laughs) So, Agnes, go ahead. We are
1: representing Isabel. We are two brains... One brain cell split into two to represent... Yes, exactly, exactly. So... (laughs) Agnes,
0: A.K.A. Isabel, what are you presenting to James?
1: So one of us is Izza and the other one's Bell. Oh,
0: yes, perfect. Okay, Izza, you're Izza. So Izza, okay, what are you presenting?
1: So as representing for Izza, I am going to be talking about the the pairing, a very popular bromance or is it gay pairing in Bungo Stray Dogs, which is Dazai and Chuya, which. Is oh. by the record is a, one of Isabel's favorite pairings oh as my. to it's very complicating, and she's under the very strong impression, if I recall correctly, that Dazai and Chuya are a thing and not necessarily a bromance. Do you have any context for *Bungo Stray Dogs*?
2: My context, uh, okay, so I've got a, a, a shotgun blast of context, and none of it is actually related specifically to the light novel series oh my or gosh. the anime. <laughs> Okay. Uh, my first introduction to Bungo Stray Dogs was a friend of mine in university who was a Japanese lit major, going. I don't particularly care for that series. Oh no, I know because this I've read all the books, and that's not at all what like the authors are like or what the actual like stories are trying to portray. And he understands that it's you know an anime and you're taking creative liberties with it. But he's like, I've spent too long reading these things. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, I have a friend that lives in England, um, and because the convention scene is so much more robust in the u.s i am sent on quests to buy merchandise <laughs> and take photographs of cosplayers oh specifically <laughs> specifically for chuya um for chuya! <laughs> yes um so uh, i know a decent I, I know some amount about chuya in terms of like what he looks like and also uh i believe at fanime Two years ago, there was an interview that Nico and I did with somebody that played the character of Chuya on the stage play adaptation of Bungo Stray Dogs, and I don't oh. remember if we asked any questions about that. I could be, I could be wrong. I could be misremembering stuff. But um, no, I don't think we got to do the interview because that was the, the COVID year. So I think we only had uh, video recordings, or we didn't. Okay. I don't know. I'd have to check the archives. Uh, Chuya, that's
1: oh, was it Kesuke Ueda? Yes. Okay,
2: yeah. So that that's my that's my context for Bungo Stray Dogs. Uh, It's not very good um, because I I think I watched one episode. I think I watched the first episode of the first season and was like, wow, this seems kind of cool, and then never watched any more of it.
1: It's well, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Bungo Stray Dogs because I've discussed it. Dazai is the one that wants
2: to keep killing himself, right? No.
1: Dazai is the one that wants to keep killing himself.
2: Okay.
0: But like not in a serious way anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a casual flirtation with death. Um, yeah, do I, Desai himself as a character makes me think that it's very difficult to have him take anything seriously, uh, let alone something like romantic. Um, isn't Chuya, aren't Chuya and Desai... Opposites. Of it. Isn't she a part of like the port mafia or whatever it is?
1: So that's where the complication comes in. So originally, before Dazai actually wasn't part of the formation of the Arms Detective Agency. The Arms Detective Agency was actually spearheaded by a lot more morally righteous people. Dazai just happened to be picked up, quote unquote, and ah. accepted into the organization because Dazai's backstory is explored a little bit more in season two, where he experiences something very, very traumatic. And he ends up defecting to join the um, the arms agency, but he's actually formerly Port Mafia, okay. and he was actually on the same team as Chuya. They were actually the buddy cop pairing. Oh, um, the sense of betrayal!
2: Ooh, that's yes. a delicious Ooh, amount spicy of edge. betrayal. <laughs> mm, yes, okay. <laughs>
1: so, in the first season, is mostly a lot of the clashing between the arms detective agency and Port Mafia. At one point, I think in season one, Dazai actually gets quote-unquote, kidnapped, but it's all according to Kaku, right? Like, he completely planned yes. <laughs> this, but he gets kidnapped. That's all that matters. He gets kidnapped, and then you have your first introduction of Chuya, who basically saunters down the stairs in a very, like, cutesy, gay way, I guess. Because he is Chuya's very a fruity.
0: Chuya is very fruity.
1: <laughs> Chuya is very fruity, too. To this degree, I think we can all agree that Chuya is actually very fruity. Um, and Daza and Chuya, it turns out, that had this uh, buddy-cop pairing had been partners for a very long time because their powers actually complement each other quite a bit with Dazai having negation powers and like he can negate any special power and Chuya having the ability to manipulate gravity but he goes berserk if he uses it for too long. Um, so that's why they were like very much inseparable but they also have, very similar to Sanji and Zoro, they have a very uh, bickering type of relationship because Dazai, as you said before, is very flirtatious with death. He doesn't really take things seriously and Chuya is unfortunately the very fruity Sundere who takes everything seriously. And the very first introduction of Chuya actually in season one is he actually helps snap off the the, the shackles that are holding Dazai in prison. And Chuya turns around and gives him this very Sundere look and basically tells him like, it's not my fault that I came down here and tried to help you free you from your shackles. And everyone was like, okay, you are officially a pairing. And that's what really sparked off the whole thing about Dazai and Chuya being a pairing and it later their bickering continues on later down the line because the plot of Bungo Stray Dogs get a bit more complicated but basically the port mafia and the armed detective agency end up working together more and more with a lot of other external threats that are threatening Yokohama so you see a lot more scenes of Dazai and Chuya like working together more and there's also a lot of screenplays that really hint about their relationship. There's a lot of the movies, like Dead Apple, which also highlights their relationship as well. So I wanted to get your insight on also, what you think about I, that. Also,
0: I, I'm about to send you an image on Discord, uh, okay. James. It's official art released by the... Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ooh, there's flowers. Yeah. <laughs> looking looking at the camera, I got what could be described as a puckered lip. All right, all right, all right. Um, Sorry, I'm going to look at this image for a little bit. Uh, gracie, you could
1: inspect yeah, it gracie to too.
2: putting 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 my my second pair of glasses over my current pair of glasses for extra analysis <laughs> um yeah that's a really that's a really interesting one i think based on the way that it has been described to me that it's clear Not it's clear i would say it's clear at least one there's at least one direction of like affection or longing. I think she is probably into Dazai. whether or not that's reciprocated is a completely different thing. Um, and that makes it very muddy because depending on which lens you're viewing through, it's, you know, from one perspective, ah, oh, we're, we're, it's the buddy cop. We're two good friends. Uh, we're coworkers. We were, we work great together. Um, and the other thing is, uh, but if you look at it the other way, it's, um, you know, uh, I am I am romantically interested in you and because I am a tsundere you will never find out and so there will just be constant angst. Um so that's that's a tough one. I I want to say that for speaking conservatively in this particular case I would view it more as as bros but I can uh, part of me, just because I I do sometimes live for that drama, really wants to be like, ah, oh, yes, they're together, but only because one of them thinks so. <laughs> so Agnes, I don't know, I don't know what your thought is uh, on that, but uh, I, I, wow, you. She- for Isabel not being here, she really threw me a curveball. Um
1: Isabel has very good taste. She has a lot of she's very introspective. Yeah. Um, and it's actually prompted a lot of very good discussion on Girl talk before. So yes, she is very much unexpected the curveballs.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um I I, I like, want to uh, give
1: another perspective on this to see like how far I can like dissect your brain. Yeah. Gracie and I have had this conversation before where Dazai as much as he is a very well beloved character in the Bungo Stray Dogs fandom we also kind of think that Dazai is a slightly bit of a groomer in this case because later on in Bungo Stray Dogs there is a big 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 nefarious plot that is going on and Dazai is imprisoned again Uh, But he actually can't do anything about it. No one's coming to save him. He can't even save himself. And so he's stuck in here and he has to rely on the fact that the agency that he has put so much faith in is going to solve their problems out without their help and that they're independent and that they learned everything and yada, 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 right? That they are are self-sufficient even without him and that they know what to do. And even if they screw up, they will still find ways to save him and to save the world, right? And so that's like that's like very, I guess like a very rewarding part. But Gracie and I have kind of noticed that Dazai has a tendency to pick up people like Atsushi and also like Chuya, because Chuya is technically, I think, a couple of years younger than Dazai. Yeah. Um, and Dazai, because he is very manipulative in the sense that he does have his own goals, although they are good goals, they're not bad, it can come off as a little bit groomer-ish because Atsushi Da, uh, da, uh Chuya and even Octagawa Octagawa they're all kind of indebted to Dazai
2: mm. and
1: Octagawa in particular is very much groomed by Dazai because Dazai trained Octagawa to be like his um successor in the Port Mafia and Octagawa is constantly like trapped in this ideal that he must perform well. Yeah, it so was it was him. not very pleasant. I
2: have to, to do say well, well so Senpai will notice me. Okay, yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. It's a very obs- it's a very big obsession thing, and there's a lot of characters that do kind of like call him out for it and being like, "Yo, you shouldn't really like be hung up about this. Like, you know, you guys are in different sides now, and Octagawa should be working on better goals to keep himself in the Port Mafia. Like, let's say either he believes in the Port Mafias, like goals or like let's say Okugawa has a younger sister in this series so he should be fighting for her too but he's so hung up on Dazai and Gracie and I have a, sus- a suspicion that Dazai has a tendency to quote-unquote groom almost in a sense not quite there yet but I wanted to see what your perspective is like with this bromance type of pairing with Dazai and Chuya, knowing that Dazai has this manipulative side. It's of him. yeah,
0: he's very manipulative and very good at gaslighting, and he doesn't does. he doesn't do that anymore. I, I will say that like yes, he doesn't do it anymore. Yes, but it's just this was his past, and this was definitely the beginning of their relationship of just knowing yeah. each other.
2: Well, I mean, he doesn't do it anymore, but what it seems is that just like his past keeps coming back anyway it during the series like that seems to be a a lot of the source of of conflict and drama It's just like oh he was like this and surprise the consequences have come home um yeah ooh, that's a that's an interesting read on it and the thing that popped into my head when you mentioned that is in terms of like a relationship of control which is literally that was dazai and chuya's relationship in the port mafia was one of control it's here's the guy that manipulates gravity and goes crazy and here's the guy that puts a lid on that um so that means that, like, even their professional career is or professional relationship is is based on one having power over the other. Um, so that's that's an interesting way to read into it, and I could I could probably see that. I mean, I I think the the question still boils down to like bromance or romance, whether or not it's a toxic version of either of those is is I think a conversation that can be had after <laughs> after the establishment of the the first question, um, but. If that's the case, you inherently, not inherently, but you frequently see more toxic, like, relation, romantic relationships than you do, like, toxic platonic ones, because the toxic platonic ones don't really last, because why would they? There's no, like, there's less deeply invested emotional um, capital in, in two characters interacting together. So that, that actually would kind of swing it more towards the, the romantic side for me.
1: Interesting. Okay. Oh, that, that long very, pause and then the
2: interesting. It's just like, oh, no.
1: No, I find it interesting because I don't quite agree with Dazla and Chuya being a thing. I do agree that they have, like, sexual tension, but I don't think that they're romantic in that sense. But Isabel would be very pleased to hear you. Well,
0: I, I the pause for me is actually because um, toxic friendships are a huge thing amongst girls. Like, I'll be oh, honest with you. It's okay. a huge thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, see, I'm
2: a, I'm a guy, so if, if things aren't going well, we just stop talking and an indeterminate amount of time passes. And at some point we die.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, I, I yeah, I was like this is interesting because like it, it's a it's a pretty well-known thing of being in toxic fr- friendships in girls circles. So yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I sorry, the thing, have you have either of you seen that SNL skit uh straight male friend?
0: No. <laughs> okay, so
2: I'll 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 send it to you afterwards, um uh, but kind of the long and short of it is it's a uh, character in the SNL uh Actor in the SNL cast who is you know, uh, out as gay um is talking about like, oh, I love spending time with my girlies and all that stuff, but sometimes it just gets so, so emotionally like intense. I just need a break, and that's why I have straight male friend. And the guy's just like, yeah, and we talk every now and then, and there's no additional investment. And there's a scene where they're like getting food, and he turns over and it's like, yeah, it looks like I'm I'm gonna be like moving to Europe for a couple of years, and the response is, cool, hit me up when you're back, and I laugh. <laughs>
1: Exactly that's, exactly,
2: the... <laughs> that's exactly what it is, though. That's like, exactly
1: how male friendships work. I cannot stress. Uh, I also say the same thing too, regrettably. But
2: <laughs> cool. <close laughs> yeah, no, th- 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 there is, there is, you know, progress being made to actively work against that stereotype. But it, it's still funny because it is true to some extent. Like, it's still
1: very true. I mean, I say it, and I'm not s- cis male, but like, that's I bad. have the tendency. Someone tells me something, and I'm like, oh, cool. But you're like very neutral about it, right? Versus for a girl, you'll be like, oh my god, why didn't you tell me this beforehand, right? Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's actually unfathomable to not hear this about is... this beforehand, yeah. <laughs> I, have,
2: I have I have all sorts of anecdotes related to that, um, even from the fact that, like, there's a certain, if I see a friend I haven't seen in a while, I have I have, like, a list of questions that I have memorized now, because it used to be that I would go and see friends that I hadn't seen in a while that, like, my parents knew about, because, you know, friends from a while ago I we would have been friends in middle school so it's like can you ask your mom to you know ask my mom if we can hang out you know that kind of whole situation oh uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah. Um, and then the moms know each other and the moms how they know keep each up other the gossip yeah. and so
2: I come back and I get the like oh so hows so- and-so doing and I'm like they're doing great and I have no more information to share because oh what happens <laughs> is I meet up I meet up with them and we pick up as if nothing has changed uh, so it's like you know I have I have a oh God I had a friend that I went to his wedding and it was just like, hey, I haven't seen you in a couple of years and you're getting married now, but like, let's just move on as if nothing's happened.
1: Crazy. It's a, Insane. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs>
2: Crazy like, just reflecting having on this it.
1: breakdown while James and I are being like, yep, this is, this is pretty common. I my to my, Fathom my it.
2: <laughs> my, my middle school German teacher flew back to Germany to meet a friend from university that he had not seen in 25 years. And when he got back, his wife asked him, so how's your friend doing? And he's like, great. And then his wife followed up with, Married? Kids? I don't know. I didn't ask.
1: Oh, that's the same conversation with me and my mom when she gets nosy about my friends. She's just like, so who are they? What did they do? Are they married? Did they have kids? I'm like,
2: I don't know. I don't know. We <laughs> hang out sometimes. Yeah. yeah, we just hang out. It's not a big deal. Friendship.
0: <laughs> right. Anyway.
2: <laughs> We're absolutely mortifying Gracie right now. I cannot imagine. I know. <laughs>
0: all right well we're over but i i gotta do isabel justice so of course um, of course in in bell's place um, the other one that she chose was link click have you do know anything about it seen anything about it don't know anything
2: about it other than the title
0: okay so basically in link click it's a supernatural series where these two guys have these supernatural abilities one of them is basically capable of uh what's the right word? Where it, is it? Clairvoyance is the is that the right word, Agnes? Where you kind of like see everything and know everything in regards to information and data. Is that
2: clairvoyance or omniscience?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, omniscience. Uh, That's clair- what I was thinking. Okay, yeah. Uh, omniscience
2: clair-
1: is a little bit different in link click. I think it's more of like clairvoyance. Clairvoyance. Okay. okay. Because they see snapshots, but they don't know the full picture. Um Om- omniscient or omnipotent implies that you're f- you're god. Okay, yeah. okay. So then clairvoyance. The word omni means all and it's usually applied to a godly like power. Yeah, or oh, if you're Magic the Gathering, it means that you okay.
2: can cast spells from your hand without paying their mana cost. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. That's a joke for exactly three people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it's not hitting two of them in
0: here. <laughs> well, okay, Lu Guang is the one with clairvoyance abilities and um, and the other one is Chen um, Chen Xiaoshi who is uh, who has the ability to, when he claps his hands, he can go into a photo and go back into that photo's time and enter someone's body. So the two of them work together by helping out clients where someone will bring them a photo and basically tell them that this is something they regret and they'd like, um, they'd like a change to be made, not where it would affect the future. And that's something that Lu Guang stresses to Chen Xiaoxi all the time. He was like, when we go back into the photo and specifically the past via the photo, we cannot change anything that will actually affect the future. It's just regrets and forgotten words that, you know, they feel like they should have said and they didn't say that we should do. And so, um, and so what happens is the two of them will clap their hands together. So it's like, a, it's almost like a high five, but depending, it depends. Sometimes they don't high five. Sometimes they just like, um, sometimes they just let their hands like fall onto each other's and stuff like that. But then uh, Chen Xiaoshis will go into the photo or specifically the person in the photo and then Lu Guang is connected to him and telling him via his clairvoyance on what he needs to do and what he needs to avoid doing to ensure that the future remains the same. And this is a source of conflict between these two guys because Chen Xiaoshis is very empathetic and so it's really hard sometimes for him to go back to the past and not change anything. For example, um, this is the episode that hooked me in, so me, Gracie, not Belle, but, uh, that hooked <laughs> me in specifically is um, the, the one of their clients came in and was an older man and he, or middle-aged man, sorry, not older man, middle-aged man who specifically says he got into a fight with his mom um, one night and he wants to essentially... Uh, fix that and tell her that he's sorry and tell her that he does love her like he because he the fight that they last had he basically said that he thinks she's useless and all that stuff it was really cruel things as sometimes will happen when you get into a fight and so okay no problem so he goes into the photo and all that stuff but then um he quickly finds out the reason why that guy was so specific on that time period for him to go back to to fix that is because that was when one of China's worst earthquakes had hit. So we quickly find out that it's because after he had that fight with his mom, he ran out into the open space. And right when he ran out into the open space, the earthquake happened. And so he was a lot safer. He didn't get crushed like a lot of people did in their homes because he was outside after he had a huge fight with his mom. And so Chen Xiaoshu, once he figured that out, He wants to save these people, you know, like he he he's the type of person who's like, I can't just let them die again when I'm already here. I know this is going to happen. Like, I I have to fix this. I have to save it. And Lu Guang is always getting on him saying you cannot do this. You cannot do this. This was one of their biggest fights because Lu Guang lied to Chen Xiaoshi and told him, Okay, you can save the mom. No one else, but you can only save the mom, and tells them like where to hide. But instead, where he told them to hide was where he knew that the mom was gonna get crushed to death. So essentially, lied to Chen Xiaoshu to make sure that the future can stay preserved. And um, and so when Chen Xiaoshu comes back to the present time, he he literally like physically like punches Lu Guan and is like and just breaks down to tears because like. It was a horrible feeling of what he had to witness again, essentially. So um, so that's... But the nature of their relationship, as you can already tell, is one's a lot more quote-unquote emotional, and the other one's a lot more quote-unquote logical. Well, the thing is, we got a huge plot twist at the end of season two. And um, actually,
1: Agnes, should you hear, listen to this, or should you mute me? I am tuning out, do not worry. Are you, you should sh- Discuss. Are you, you sure? We discuss at your free will, yes. Okay. Um,
0: so basically, at the end of season two, after a harrowing mission with a lot of kidnapping involved and stuff, it's hard to explain because season two's genre has kind of shifted compared to season one. But, um, but Lu Guan and Chen Xiao should have been together for like forever now as partners in, in regards to this kind of work. And we find out at the very end, after they both got severely injured but then healed in the hospital and they go back home is that Lu Guan in his internal monologue revealed that he was a hypocrite because he's always going after Chen Xiaoshi about um, about the fact that Chen Xiaoshi should not be changing the past, that when people die, you have to let them go because that's just how the world works. And it was revealed that actually, uh, this is like hard to explain, Actually, Lu Guang is the one who was breaking his own rules because it seems like from the way that the anime hinted at it is that in the future, um, one thing that they talk about in here is that the powers can transfer when someone dies, and so um, it seems like in the future, Chen Xiaoshi has died multiple times actually, and the powers, the powers that Chen Xiaoshi has with going back into a photo was trans would transfer into Lu Guang. And it's heavily hinted that he's been going back into the past multiple times trying to do whatever he can to delay Chen Xiaoshis' death and like um, and doing whatever and breaking his own rules and essentially testing the stability of the world because of that fact. And um, and so that was a big plot test and, re- and reveal. And obviously it's also a reveal of like Lu Guan being a hypocrite because he's once again always lecturing Chen Xiaoshi about not doing that. And so that moment was like huge amounts of shippers, and obviously huge amounts to like Isabel as well. And I guess like knowing that full context now, um, what do you think?
2: <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can totally understand why that reveal would would send you know the the fan mills a spinning. Um. Yeah cuz before before you did that I'm just like these are two coworkers. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but now now this this reveal and I suppose that's the impact it's supposed to have is supposed to upend how people view this relationship. Right. I I hesitate necessarily to say that it's fully romantic just because it rings very similarly to like would you start the apocalypse for someone right Um, yeah (laughs) that's what that's what it seems like it's like i'm doing this with the risks of ripping apart you know the fabric of reality or whatever um and so somebody being that precious to you does it doesn't have to be romantic necessarily Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, if i have to if i have to come down on one side or the other I would, st- I think, I would still come down on bromance more than like proper romance. Okay. Um. But you see but
0: where the other. Interpretation... I see where
2: everybody else is coming from, and I, uh-huh. I'll be perfectly honest. It would not take very much more for me to change my mind.
1: Okay. Um. Like one okay. or two,
2: one or two well-placed scenes, um, would probably be enough to to make me change my mind. So it's not like it's not like a you know windmill slam. Obviously, one of them. It's it's we're 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 going tentatively into bromance with. You know, it'll be under review as more content comes out.
0: Will it change if I tell you that the last scene of this reveal was Lu Guang looking at Chen Xiaoshi eating snacks, and he has like crumbs over his faces, and it's like, and the world around Chen Xiaoshi brightens when he turns around and looks at Lu Guang and smiles at him with like,
2: Oh yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why'd you hide that? You could have just told me that, and I wouldn't have had to get into this long spiel. if you're gonna if, well if you're gonna frame it like that if you're gonna yeah. be like oh he's eating a snack i wish i was that snack um anyway james uh, gets it he
1: gets the agenda
2: <laughs> yeah no if if at that point yeah no it's a we'll we'll frame it romantically more than anything else
1: All right,. righty then
0: okay so i think that's it then thank you everyone for listening james i hope you had a fun time with this particular i had a topic. wonderful
2: time thanks so much for having me
0: Yeah, so I don't believe we will be back next week with another fun topic. We're going into our Christmas season, so we, too, have holidays to go to. So, But thank you, everyone, for listening. And I think we will be back whenever, um, probably in the new year. So we'll have to see. But for everyone else, this was a a longer uh, episode, so I hope everyone enjoyed it. So thank you guys so much. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.